Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. As you switch from the hymn book to the good book, if you will turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, whether it's the one you brought with you or the pew Bible in front of you, turn with me there, Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26 is our text for today. Hear with me the words of the Lord. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask about what is good? There is one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I lack? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So gracious Lord, open our ears. Open our ears that we would clearly hear what you have to say to us today. But open our hearts that we would take those words and that we would embed them deep within our souls so that we would leave this place with those words on our lips, with them evident by our hands, by our very lives that we would be not just hearers of your words, O Lord, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So friends, I want to confess to you, there is a tension in my soul, a warring, if you will, something that I live with every day that, that sometimes is a bit of a struggle, if I'm really honest. I'm a person that believes that it's important for me to be informed about the world around me. I believe that old adage that in my role as a minister that I should preach with a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. And so because of that, I read the newspaper, I read, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal, I read the Winston Journal, I'm not saying this to brag or for you to go, oh, hey, look, my preacher reads, I mean, there are some that don't, I'm not saying this for that. 
But I also watch the network news in the evenings. I've got the, the, uh, the news feed that pops up on my phone with all the breaking news stuff. I, I subscribe to different uh, news groups that are dealing with the United Methodist Church, ministry in general, the church and world. I've got all this data coming at me, all this to be informed, to be a better human being, a, a better minister, a better person. But here's the confession. Some days, with all of that coming of me, with what I read, what I hear, what I see, it makes me sick. I get depressed. I mean, when I think about just the name-calling that happens sometimes in the news, I mean, even you think that church groups are supposed to be kind and Christian and we love each other, the name-calling that sometimes happens on, on news organizations within the church is just... It's worse than what you see on kindergartners and first graders on the playground. I mean, sticks and stones may break my bones, but boy, the words sure hurt. And we will call each other names in the world around us, won't we? In every one of our professions, this happens, sadly. The posturing, the infighting, the suffering, the division, the power grabs, the treadmill of human suffering caused by the human condition and human situations, it's exhausting. It's depressing, and so it's no wonder that there are days where I'm tempted to want to turn it all off and maybe just stick my head in the sand and say, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? But is it? There's one such day just a couple of weeks ago where, actually it was a couple of months ago, but anyway, weeks, months, they all run together. But anyway, my cup was just too full. I had all this stuff coming at me, all that stuff I just described, and I was fed up. I sort of felt like a parent at the end of a long summer vacation where you'd done all the fun things. There were still two or three weeks before school started, and the kids were sniping and bickering, and you just wanted to say, enough. Can't we just all get along? And that was where I was. I was like, I, I'm, enough of this. So I shut it all down. I closed the computer. I shut the books. I quit, you know, I, I turned off all the electronic stuff. And I put my tennis shoes on and I went for a walk to clear my head, to clear my mind, to refocus my heart. And as with luck would have it walking through the neighborhood, there was a car parked on the side and it had a stack of bumper stickers and, you know, I, I read these things. And right smack in the middle was this bumper sticker. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. I just stared at it. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. And at that moment, I just stood there and I threw my hands up and I said, amen and amen. It was as if the sermon for the day was done. Because, my friends, that's what the world, that's what you and I need to strive for each day, where the power of love triumphs over the love of power. Because when we do that, we will bring peace to the world around us. Now, the interesting thing about these words, I looked them up because I thought, well, surely that's clever, but surely somebody didn't come up with this idea on their own and say, you know, I've got this brilliant thought, I'll put it on a bumper sticker and I'll make millions. Instead, they said, someone said something brilliant somewhere, and I'll put that on a bumper sticker. And sure enough, I started looking this up. First, this gets uh, attributed to Jimi Hendrix, of all people. But wait, it didn't start with him. Then Mahatma Gandhi. Now, you know, that's actually, it sounds, okay, this is a lot better, right? In case you think it needs to be more wholesome. 
But then you have to wind all the way back to the 1800s. And I know you all know your British political history. But the British Prime Minister, William Everett Gladstone, in the late 1800s, he was the one that penned these words. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And the interesting thing is I read more about him. The interesting thing about his his leadership was that he went into office with a very hard-line position, but over his time in office, he actually grew as a human being. He grew as a leader, and he ended up with a very more holistic viewpoint of leadership, as if he had followed his own words. The power of love overcomes the love of power, and the world will know peace. But while those words are attributed to William Everett Gladstone, they are really rooted in this book. They're really rooted in the Holy Scriptures, really rooted in the teachings of Jesus. And what you find is in today's passage, is day's interaction, is a semblance of that. Jesus is having this conversation with a man who questions his salvation. His subconscious is telling him that I'm a good person, but there's still something I'm missing. There's something wrong, something I'm not getting. And so he goes to Jesus. He's unsure. There's this tension, this warring in his soul. And so he asks the question, hoping that there's a quick, you know, two-step process or validation that maybe he's not, he's not unsure after all. So what does Jesus tell him? He says, well, follow the commandments. The man goes, which ones? Because now he's saying, great, I've got the list. If I can check all the boxes, this will solve my anxiety about my salvation. So Jesus goes through five of them, and he ends with, oh, and also love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says that, and the man says, well, I do all these things. And this is the kicker. He's still not satisfied. He's still not convinced. He goes, I do all these things. He goes, what else is there? He's looking for this assurance that surely there's just one more thing I've got to do. And Jesus goes for his Achilles heel. He says, there's one more thing. Sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor, and then you'll be there. And what does the text say? The text says the man walks away. Now, a lot of times we use this text and we talk about the idea of money and possessions and everything else, and yes, that's valuable. But what I want you to understand is I want you to look at the man's relationship. It was about power. The money was his power base. It was what he held on to. He couldn't imagine giving that up, much less giving it up and giving the money to the poor and essentially putting him on the same level that they were. So Jesus spells it out right here in this text. He zeroes in on the struggle of the human conflict, this idea of the faith dimension, whether it's the love of power or the power of love that we're going to live by. Think about those two words. What is power? What is love? When we look at this idea of power, power is about control, isn't it? It's about our, jo- our own joy, our own achievement, our own self-aggrandizement, maybe even at the expense of someone else or a whole group of someone else's. It's setting aside the common good for what is my own good. Power is motivated by fear, by selfishness. But then contrast power with love. 
This love that Jesus preached about, this gospel love, it's a love about affection, about respect. It's a love about interacting peaceably, seeking what is best for all of us, for all the world, for all of humanity, no matter what. It's about tolerance, acceptance, about compassion. It's about care. See, love has this power to supersede everything, including power itself. I mean, love is the highest order. But when we really begin to unpack what love can do, love is decent, it's innocent, it's pure, it's true. Love is the kind of thing that when it begins to take hold in your life, begins to take ownership, resistance is futile because love is transforming. And love can heal the world. So when the power of love rules our hearts, then we and the world know peace. Just think about that. When the power of love rules our hearts, then we and the world know peace. So think about this idea of love and about what it means and what it looks like. As I said, it's innocent, it's pure, it's true. It reminds me of a song by the, the rock band or the, the rock artist Sean Mullins. It was a song back to, back to 2003, so yeah, I was 30-something years old then. But anyway, it still sticks with me to this day. It's a song about the birth of a child and how this child has got this blank slate and all this promise and all this wonderful innocence until we corrupt children. These are the words from the opening parts of the song. Sharing with us what he knows, his shining eyes big and blue. Reminds me of Murphy. those eyes big and blue. His eyes big and blue, the world to him is new, to touch a face, to kiss a smile, and his eyes see no race. The essence of a child He's born to shimmer. He's born to shine. He's born to radiate. He's born to live. He's born to love. And this is the kicker that just punches me in the gut all the time. But we'll teach him how to hate. See, that's the problem. Children come into this world if we would just pay attention to them and not try to show them the way as we understand it, we would listen, follow their examples of love and grace, we could learn so much. But instead, we want to show them about power where we control. Remember when Jesus was beginning his ministry, there was a day where there was a large crowd around him, and Jesus said, let the children come to me. And there's two reasons he was doing this. The first is that children didn't exist. They had the lowest place in society. Children were not only to not be heard, They really weren't even to be seen. So they were always at the back of the crowd. So when Jesus says, let the children come to me, what he's really saying is, this matters to them as much as it does to you adults. This is why we have children in church. This is why I love when they're here, that even when they get a little fidgety, make a little bit of noise, it's okay because they're supposed to be here with us. They learn alongside of us. But friends, here's the other reason we can learn alongside them and learn from them. Because the reason Jesus wanted the children to come forward is because they are a living object lesson for us. Think about it. You take a child to the beach, 
and maybe he's got a cousin with him, maybe a brother or sister, whatever it might be, but you take them to the beach and there's other children, you give them about 15, 20 minutes and let them kind of free range a little bit, they will make friends with a family from Ohio that you don't even know what side of the beach they're staying on. And they want to play with their friend all week long. That's all you'll hear about because they just go up and introduce themselves to each other and enjoy being together. It doesn't matter, boy or girl, whatever your skin tone is, whether you wear the whole shebang with the hat and all the sleeves or you're covered in uh, suntan oil or nothing at all. It doesn't matter. They visit and they make friends. They don't see the divisions we see. That's the object lesson. A couple of years ago, there was a missionary in Southeast Asia that were working with an orphanage, and he had been, he'd been in that area visiting, and he noticed that there was always one child that was sort of left out. So he thought, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm going I'm to do something special for this child. I'm going to really buck him up and make him feel special. So he snuck the child away from the group and snuck him a couple of doors down to the ice cream shop. Now, ice cream was really a luxury for these kids. As a matter of fact, they had never had it. But this missionary was like, you know, this is going to be a good investment. I'm going to make this kid feel special. So he bought them the ice cream cone, and he, he bought one for himself and showed the kid how to eat it. The kid took one lick, and his eyes just got big. Oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And if Meg were here in worship, she'd be going like, preach on. It's the best thing. Preach on. But anyway, the kid takes the ice cream cone and runs back down the street, the orphanage, and gathers all his friends around and gives them each an opportunity to lick the ice cream cone. I mean, who cares about hygiene, Right? And the missionary was appalled because he had done this for this one kid and the kid's squandering the gift. He's only had one taste of the best thing ever and he's giving everyone else a taste. That's love, my friends. That's the love. He had it. He could have kept it to himself, but he shared it with everyone else. He shared it with his friends and that's the love that the gospel calls us to discover and to share with each other, to shed our control over others, to see them as our equals, as our brothers and sisters, as true family members, to act and do for the common good for all of humanity, to act and do for the sake of others. And then when we do that, then we know peace in our hearts. We know the joy in our hearts of that biblical, that gospel love. And when we begin to know that, when we begin to practice that, what we begin to realize is that love transforms us. Once that love finds us, it won't let us go, and we just, we can't resist it any longer. And when we begin to practice that, the world can't resist receiving that love from us. I think about Jesus when he was telling the early disciples, and they were persecuted by the Romans, and the Roman law of the time was, if a Roman soldier came up to you and said, peasant, carry my pack, you had to carry it a mile or you would be beaten. They said, peasant, give me your shirt. You had to give it to them or you would be beaten. And you would take the beatings because those were the rules. I mean, it's pretty harsh. So what did Jesus say? If someone makes you carry your pack one mile, go another mile. If someone asks you for your shirt, give them your cloak. Which I haven't figured that one out because I always thought the cloak was... But anyway, never mind. But the point, though, is... Do the thing they don't expect. When they strike you, turn the other cheek. Show them love. Show them respect, even if they don't respect you. 
And when they do that, all of a sudden it begins to change that power dynamic. All of a sudden, the Roman soldiers don't know what to do. Like, I only needed you to carry it a mile, but you'll go too. What do I do with that? It changes that nature. It begins to transform. It transforms the person from being beaten to being in charge. They're the ones that are showing love. They have the power now because they're sharing love. So there's a story a couple of weeks ago that there was a 90-year-old man that went to the bank. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever had this experience, going to the bank and you try to get money out, and the bank says, do you have your ID? I mean, most times I do, so this is not a problem. But every once in a while, I don't have it with me. Do you have your bank card? Uh, that's my ID, and that doesn't seem to work. Well, this guy had it in per the bank's policy because his ID had expired. He's 92 years old. Because his ID had expired, the teller would not give him his money. Following the rules straight down the middle, would not give him. And so he sort of got upset about this, and he began to create a disturbance. I would like to have seen what that disturbance looked like, just for the record, because I'm curious. But he created a disturbance, and of course they called the police, and a police officer walked in and quickly realized what's happening. And do you know what he does? He tells the fellow, he says, come with me, sir. And they get in the car, and they drive to the DMV. I mean, he gets a police escort to the DMV. If you're in the DMV, you know that that's just an exercise in getting ready to be frustrated. But now he's got a police escort to the DMV. He goes to the front of the line, and just like... He's got his ID. It's updated and he's ready to roll. And he gets in a police escort back to the bank. And the guy can get his money. See, the police officer understood that love, understood that respect, and showed it. And he transformed a depressing situation. He transformed a tense situation. He just transformed a disturbance in the lobby to an object lesson for all of us. What can we do to help each other? to change the course of each other's lives or even just each other's day. See, in the presence of the love that Jesus is talking about, resistance is futile. It's transformational. And in that moment, the world knows peace. And when we know that kind of peace, the world begins to heal just a little bit more one step at a time. Remember a couple of months ago as we were reading in Corinthians, we were talking about Paul, and he was going through that whole litany of, of gifts and graces and what was happening in the church. Remember he said, now the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love, and I will show you a more excellent way. That comes at the end of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Well, we know what 1 Corinthians 13 is, right? It's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. And it's one that we hear at weddings down front all the time. And it's the right passage for a wedding because let me tell you what, the marriage is an event. I mean, the wedding is an event with a marriage with a, with a, a bound life on the other side. And it's not all going to be sunshine and rainbows. It's not all going to be, you know, taffeta and everything else. Some days it's going to be hard. Some days you've got to remember that love doesn't keep score, so you don't need to say, look, I washed the dishes five times this week. You've got to at least do the next two. That's just in a marriage. But imagine if we practice that kind of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is generous. Love isn't boastful. If we practice that with each other, that's what the world needs. To let the power of love reign supreme power of that kind of love. 
And we approach that with this earnesty, with, with an earnestness about it, with a sense of commitment to sharing the love, the transforming power of it, we will heal the world. Betty was a resident in a nursing, in a nursing home in sort of the uh, assisted living section. And every day they would roll her out kind of the lobby out in front there with all the other residents. And she just sat there for, she'd been there for a year and had never said one word to a soul. And they would roll her out and she would just sit there. After a month of sitting there, they'd gotten a new nurse at the nursing station. She sort of watched all the residents. And one day she just grabbed a rocking chair and pulled it up beside Betty's chair and just sat there and rocked beside her. This went on day in and day out for several weeks. About six weeks into this, sitting there rocking beside Betty, all of a sudden Betty looks over at her and says, you are so kind. The whole room froze. The nurse kept sitting there day in, day out for weeks. And pretty soon, that was as if it was the dam that had burst. Pretty soon, Kat, pretty soon Betty, Becky went from saying, you are so kind to being chatty Kathy, to be the one that was entertaining, the one that was telling stories. Sometimes it didn't all make all the sense and they couldn't connect the dots, but they enjoyed her company because she was so happy and so full of joy. Her life was healed. Her life was changed all because one person believed in the transforming power of love to just sit next to her and be present with her. If it'll do that, if the love will heal the world, if it'll transform a nursing home lobby or a bank lobby or even the heart of a missionary in Southeast Asia with an ice cream cone, imagine what that kind of love will do in our homes and our places of business, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our government, in our nation in the world around us. Imagine what it will do in the mission field that God has called you to serve in. If you practice that kind of love, if you lead with love first, the healing that will take place in the world around you. So I will keep reading the newspaper. I will keep following the TV news. I will keep with all the news feeds because it's important to know, but I'm not going to let it exasperate me. Instead, I'm going to try to find ways to let love permeate all of my life, to live that bumper sticker where I choose to let the power of love overcome the love of power so that I and the world around me will know peace. And I encourage you to do the same. To find a love that is earnest and true, just like that of a child to let it take hold and transform your life and to be a part of the healing of the world. One act, one day, one person at a time. That's what God calls us to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.